You know, as I just sat here and reflected this week, and then just even right now, um, I'm just so thankful for this church. And I'm so thankful for who God has brought here. And to be a young church plant and have a talented worship team to be able to lead without me having to be a part of it, that's, that's, a, that's an incredible blessing. And it's something that many churches don't have, let alone church plants. And so I just I appreciate all of you. I appreciate the... This takes a lot longer for me to prepare to preach and to know that I don't have to worry about doing this. And, and they do great just without me, that's for sure. So well, thank you for that. Um, so we have been walking through uh, the book of James. And we're in our third week here. It's the third chapter. And I want to just kind of give a recap as we've titled this series, Talk is Cheap. Talk is Cheap, sorry. And I think we'd all agree that James would have been all for the, the saying, don't just talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. You know. So James, the whole book is... It's all about the Christian life should look different. The Christian life, you know, if we have true saving faith, he echoes what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that if, if we've got that saving faith, then we've been created for God's workmanship. The good work should come out of that. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron preached on chapter 1, where James tells us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And that's self-explanatory. If we read the word, we're to obey the word. But too often, that doesn't happen. You know, it goes from here, and it doesn't connect to the heart. He says that's not what a Christian should do. The world can read the Bible and not have a clue what's going on, but the Christian with the Holy Spirit should be able to understand and obey it. So it would be doers of the word, not hearers only. Last week he preached on uh, chapter 2 and how we're to not show partiality. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves truly and not show favoritism, not look at somebody who might you know, look like everything's got all the worldly stuff and look at them different than somebody who's in need. You know, and as I thought about that, it really shows the sin that we actually have. Because deep down, if we favor somebody who has all the stuff together, if we really are honest with ourselves, it's because we're hoping that that person might be able to help us. And when we look at somebody who's in need, we know that we're going to have to help them. And yet God says that's not to be done in the kingdom of God. You know, we are, all, we are to treat everyone the same. And James clearly says to show favoritism is a sin. And we're not to do that. At the end of chapter 2, what James is probably most famous for, what's been quoted most and a lot of times taken out of context, is his saying that faith without works is dead. And that's a hard thing for us to, to wrap our minds around because we, wanna, we believe in Jesus and we want that to be enough. But the reality of it is, is true saving belief and faith produces good works. And that's what James is talking about. So the first two chapters, like, be obedient to the word of God. Love your neighbor as yourself as God has commanded you. Why? Because faith without works is dead. Now he's going to move into chapter 3, and he's going to talk about what we say. So not only do we need to walk the walk, we still have to talk the talk, and what we say matters. So we're going to pick up here in James chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I want to encourage you to follow along today. Some of the verses will be on the screen. But let's stand together in honor of God's Word as we read verses 1 through 8 together. James chapter 3, verse 1, it says... Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would just be with us now. That, God, that you would soften our hearts to your word. That, God, that when we read scripture that is very pointed, very direct, and very convicting, that, God, we wouldn't turn our nose up to it. But, God, that we would lean into it, just like the Israelites did when they rejoiced for getting the law. God, we should, be, we should rejoice knowing how we are to live for you. God, let us never forget what you've done for us in Christ. And God, be with us now. We just want to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you can imagine, um, verses like this terrify me. That's why I'm also grateful to have a praise team to take some of the burden off of me on days like this. To know that as a pastor I'm going to be judged more strictly is terrifying. You know, to know that the words I say, I'm going to have to stand before God, that's terrifying. Um, I mean, it's, James is pretty clear here. There's no, no other way to read this but that a teacher is going to be judged with a greater strictness. And that leads us, that's the first thing we see here, a stricter judgment. And I want to look at verse 1 again. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Again, like I just said, terrifying. And then to stand up here and have to preach off of that, knowing this is right in front of my face. You know, there's no way to get around this. But I want us to see something here, too. Um, this shouldn't discourage you know, uh, people from wanting to be pastors. In fact, if, in 1 Timothy 3.1, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Anyone who wants to, you know, be a pastor, wants to teach and, and shepherd God's people, that's a noble task. But what, Paul, what James is reminding us here is that it's a serious task. I like John MacArthur and what he says here. He says, this is not meant to discourage true teachers, but to warn the prospective teacher of the role's seriousness. One of my first classes in seminary was pastoral ministries. And a professor of mine that I highly respect, Dr. Pullman, said something on the first day. And it's going to stick with me forever. He said, I want you to understand the terrifying privilege it is to be a pastor. And as I read scripture and I understand that with the opportunity to preach and teach the word of God, whether it's through song or through the written word, that God is going to use that to equip his people to grow in maturity, to be more like him. To, to help people hear the gospel for the first time and be saved, that's an incredible privilege. But to know that my words are going to be judged, I have to stand before God and be judged on that, that's terrifying. I know what you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'll just take James' advice. You know, I'm not good at this, so I won't be a pastor. That's pretty simple. I won't get judged that way. Well, that's not what's actually going on here. So, when we, I want to step back just for a second. And I want to look at who James is writing to. In most, most letters in the Bible, we can, we can do this. They'll, they'll address who they are and also who they're writing to. And then if we understand how these letters were written, they didn't have it in the same context we do. They, don't, they didn't just jump to chapter 3. They had a full letter. And so everything in this letter is applied to who he actually wanted it to go to. So look what James chapter 1, verse 1 says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, James is writing to the 12 tribes in dispersion. Now, the 12 tribes, they've always depicted Israel, and there's 12 tribes of Israel. And at the first century, they have been dispersed because of persecution and trials and everything else. 
And he's writing to them. James was a, um, you know, he was a pastor of a church. He was, a, he was a, the church leader at the time, but a lot of the people have been dispersed out. And so he's writing to them. Now, understanding that when we read verse 3, it makes a lot of sense. Not many of you, my brothers, should become teachers. He's writing to Christians who obviously are aspiring to be teachers. But because of this, the strictness that's going to be judged about what you say, you need to be very careful because you're going to be held accountable for what you say. And so, again, even though he is explicitly saying that this greater judgment is for a teacher, he's writing to all Christians. And so let's look at this real quick before we just write off that your words don't matter. It says a teacher will be judged with greater strictness. So greater strictness obviously means more strict, right? Your Bibles might say we'll be judged more strictly, we'll receive greater judgment, we'll receive a stricter judgment. In all of these, the judgment is somehow greater or stricter, which would imply that there's still a judgment for everyone else. Now, James, it's interesting, some commentaries will say he's the modern day or the New Testament proverb, and it also is coupled with Jesus' teachings. And again, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and Proverbs tells us that the wisdom of God is the Word of God, which is Jesus. So it only makes sense that his letter, being the half-brother of Jesus, has what Jesus said, and it also comes from like wisdom literature, because Jesus is that wisdom literature. So again, there's a stricter judgment, meaning that there's still a judgment. So let's look at what Jesus says here in Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. If you think because you're not a pastor that your words don't matter, you need to think again. This is, this is a serious thing that Jesus is saying. You're going to be held accountable for every careless word that you've spoken? That should terrify us. That's why James in verse 2 of chapter 3 says, For if, we stumble, or if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his tongue, or bridle his whole body. What we say matters, because what it's doing is it's showing who we actually are. Think about that. We can all say really nice things until the pressure gets to us, until we're faced with some serious stuff. And what happens? More often than not, we run away regretting what we've said. The true self really comes out. I think a lot of times we deceive ourselves in thinking that, that what comes out isn't really who we are. But the reality of it is that is who we are. And it's finally made its way out. That's why we need God's help in that. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't just talk random stuff. There's something there. And we know that. You know, when somebody gives like a sarcastic comment or something, Though it's a joke or whatever, we, we know that there's some truth there. They wouldn't even have thought it. You know what I mean? So we understand this. And so the heart is going to deceive us, and yet we do it in speaking, and we need to be careful with that. What we say matters. And knowing that every single one of us will be held accountable for what we say, we need to take heed to that. And James is going to tell us why the tongue is so powerful. Look at the second thing we see, that we have power to influence with our tongue. Look at verses 3 again through 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are, also, they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, As we look at these illustrations, they're pretty self-explanatory, but you can see the power that uh, such a small thing does. So in a horse, that little bit that you put in the mouth. If you've never ridden a horse... It's actually not that hard. I mean, not that they won't buck you off. I mean, I wouldn't. I guess 
don't take my advice. If, you, if you're afraid of horses, you probably shouldn't ride one. I don't know. But when you put that into mouth, as massive and powerful this horse is, a little child can tug this way, and that horse will turn left. And as he says here, if you control the head, you also control the body. When you tug this way, that horse will walk this way. If you pull this way, that horse will walk this way. If you pull back, that horse will back up. And it doesn't take power to do that. That little tiny bit controls this massive animal. James also says, look at the ship. You know, and I thought about this. I mean, how ridiculous in size is that little rudder, no matter how massive the ship is, and yet it steers it somehow. And even when the winds, and so think about that for a second. If the winds are coming this way, it naturally wants to turn the ship this way, yet the rudder can turn it back into the waves. See, our, and James says our tongue is just as powerful. We have an opportunity to use our tongue in such a way that we can direct things against extreme forces the other way. This little tiny thing in our mouth has incredible power to influence. You know, we think of a motivational speaker. I mean, how many times can they take thousands of people who are thinking one way, motivate them to completely change to something else only because of what they said? That's an that's a incredible power that we have to influence other people. We all know those family members who might have been bitten by one of those motivational speakers, right? And they're willing to change their entire life based off of somebody they don't know, but it sounded good. And, and they might be right, but just, again, from the words of somebody else, they're willing to change everything. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't talk a lot. I'm not a motivational speaker. I keep quiet. Doesn't that only amplify what you do say when you talk? We all know those people that don't talk a lot, but when they do, everybody listens because it must be important. So even if you don't talk, people are listening and they're going to assume that what you're saying, you really mean it because you don't really talk. So none of us escape this. And it's an incredible power that we have. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Think about that for a second. The gospel is spread through our lips. When we speak the gospel, when we share the good news of Jesus, Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. By speaking, we can share the gospel with somebody and they can be saved. That's an incredible influence. Romans 10, 13 is one of my favorite verses. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So now flip that around for a second. Paul is saying that when we tell somebody with our mouth, when we tell somebody the good news of Jesus, they can hear it, they can believe it, they can call on his name, and they can be saved. We have an incredible power to influence for good. When God is in control, what we can say, regardless of who we are, we can, there's incredible power to change somebody's life and to even see them be saved. That's an amazing thing. Our, powers have tongue, or our tongues have power to influence when they're controlled by the Spirit. But there's a reason that James has said not all people should be teachers. Because the third thing we see here is that the tongue also has power to destroy. So look at verses 5 through 8 again. The second half of verse 5 says, How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
doesn't make you want to talk, does it? Our words can be destructive. Our words can destroy. We all know as kids the saying that we we're told, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And honestly, that helped me when I was a kid, because when somebody said something, I said, whatever, they can't hurt me. But the reality of it is we know that words can hurt. Words can destroy. And words can also last much longer than a broken bone. Broken bones are going to heal at some point. Words can destroy people. One commentator said, the casual, sarcastic, or critical remark can inflict a lasting injury on another person. Likewise, the well-timed encouragement or compliment can inspire someone for the rest of their life. We all have those in our moment. We've all had things that somebody has said that still haunts us today, and we have things that people said that motivate us in those times of need. Our tongue has incredible power to influence for good or for evil. I want us to look at how James describes the tongue. I'm going to highlight based off of what we just read. James says the tongue is a fire that can set an entire forest ablaze. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It, sets, it is set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil and is full of deadly poison. Think about that for a second. We've seen in the natural world like these forest fires that just go crazy, and it all started with one little tiny flame. We see that it stains the entire body. And think about that. You might esteem somebody very high. They live an incredible life, but then you hear them speak one time. And even if it's just one time, it ruins their reputation. And now, at this point, whatever they say or do looks like they're a hypocrite because they heard them say this. One little saying can change this stuff. Where It can stain the entire body. When it says that it's set on fire by hell, what that actually means is that when it uses hell here, it is of the demonic force, meaning that the tongue can be used by Satan to do what he wants, and that is to kill and steal and destroy. It's a restless evil. It never, never, never ends. And it's full of deadly poison. Now from this tongue, as James describes it, you and I are going to be held accountable for what we say. And teachers, even more strict. But it gets worse. Look at verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. Let's be honest, at this point, this is discouraging. James has just revealed to us what we already know. The inner part of us, those evil thoughts are there. And if we, there's, like you, you think of the thoughts, you might say one thing, but what you really want to say makes us sick to our stomach. We're evil people at the core. We're sinners who need to be saved. And James says, you can't control the tongue. But here's the reality. If we know anything about the Bible, if we know anything about Jesus, even though we feel helpless, God never leaves us there. And I want us to see something here. James is being used by God to give us his word, which always is to lift us up, to encourage us, to correct us, and to lead us more towards him. We are helpless on our own, but we don't have to be. Now, if we look back, again, what is James doing? James is telling us that the life of a Christian should look different. True saving faith should produce something in us. Our lives as Christians should and must look different than a non-Christian. Why? What does the Christian have that a non-Christian doesn't? Remember when Jesus went away, he told his disciples, if I go to prepare a place, I'm going to come back. And then he says later on, when I go... God's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. 
Let's go at, uh, if you look at Acts chapter 2, I think of Peter. Peter, the man who when was questioned, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Denied Jesus three times. Went into hiding. He, when Jesus rose again, I mean, there was, he had doubted that, and then he saw it, and then he's working with, you know, Jesus is telling him all this stuff. He says, wait on the Holy Spirit. And then Peter has a chance to redeem himself, right? The man who denied Jesus three times with his question, then at Pentecost is questioned again, and what does he do? He stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit, God in control, speaks a message that 3,000 people come to Christ. All throughout Scripture, we see God use men who have the same tongue that you and I have and take control of it and do incredible things. See, here's the reality. No one, no human can tame the tongue, but the Spirit can. And that's the point of what James is saying. As a Christian, you have the Spirit inside you. You should look different. Now, there's obviously levels of maturity in this. That's why he says not all should be teachers, right? And I, and I want to just take a moment and make sure we understand when, when James says that if anyone does not stumble what he says, he's a perfect man. We've seen that word perfect before, and in fact, James uses it seven other times in the book. James is not implying that you can somehow work your way to perfection. What he's saying is if you could do these things, you would be perfect. But we all know we're not. That's why Jesus came. But again, it is absolutely not an excuse to not try. It's not an excuse to not give in to the Spirit. We know that there's a difference between being, having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. I preached a few months ago that we can actually quench the Spirit because of our sin. So though there's levels of maturity... A life of a Christian should look different. Now, just because I'm a pastor or someone else a pastor doesn't mean I'm better than you. Because James, look what he says in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And again, look when he says, if you could control the tongue, you'd be perfect and able to control the body. James is admitting he doesn't have this down either. But a pastor should be better at this than others who don't preach. And if not, as my professor said, get out of the pulpit, right? What we say matters. And though not everyone's at the same level... Every single one of us, Jesus said, will be accounted, accountable for every careless word we've said. So what do we do then? If we're accountable for it, if we know that there's levels of maturity, if we know that we're not where we need to be, what do we do? The last thing we say, see here is we pray for wisdom. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, he goes on to explain the difference between worldly and heavenly wisdom. And I'm going to get into that in just a second. But I want to stop because we see another word, wisdom, that we've seen before. And again, if, a, if an author writes words multiple times, we've got to stop because he's trying to make a point. He wants us to refer back to what we've seen. So let's look at James chapter 1, verse 5. In the context of this, this is James talking about the testing of your faith. When you're, in, when you're being tested, when you're suffering, when you're doing that stuff to be patient, to let it have its full effect. And then he says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what is wisdom? It's important that we understand this. Is wisdom knowledge? Is it understanding? It's actually both of those plus another step. Wisdom is understanding and applying the knowledge at the right time. You see, we, we live in a world, not new to other times, we live in a world a lot today where we've got all kinds of information. All kinds of information. Very little understanding. 
But even the ones that have understanding still don't apply it correctly. And if somebody says the thing at the wrong time, we wouldn't say that's a wise person, right? To know what to say, to understand when to do it, and then to actually follow through, that is wisdom. And so now I want to go back real quick and see the two wisdoms we have to choose from. In verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Let's link that back to what he said. No human can tame the tongue. And you trying to do it on your own is going to result in these things, a worldly wisdom that you will be held accountable for. But verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Friends, we need help from God in this. Every one of us has said stuff that we wish we could take back. And to know today we can't live in ignorance anymore. We will be held accountable for that. And though we can't tame the tongue in ourselves with the Spirit of God, God can. And God can do some incredible things. We have an incredible power to influence other people, or we've got incredible power to destroy. We need this wisdom that God offers, and there's a full supply of it if you read through Scripture. But I love how James does this. Again, it's not just enough to ask. So he says, if you ask, God will give it to you. But he puts a condition on it, and that's the whole point of James. You can't just say one thing. If you really believe it, you're going to do it. So if we look at verse 6 of chapter 1, but let him ask in faith. And again, we can stop there and be like, no, I believe. But if you truly believe, then you'll do it without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. We're all guilty of that. How many times do we pray, God, please give me this. But deep down, I don't actually think he's going to. James says, then count on that. Don't suppose you'll get anything from the Lord. If you truly have faith that God will give you wisdom, ask without doubting, and he will give it to you. And that wisdom is going to allow you to be able to control the tongue because the Spirit's going to be in control. We all need help with this. Now, as I said before, this type of stuff terrifies me, right? Because we, as much as we'd want to, we, uh, we can't just start today, right? We've got to go look back on everything we've ever said. But I want to encourage you today that because we have the Spirit inside of us, not to forget the gospel of Jesus, not to forget the grace that he has for us, we will be accountable for what we say. But the main thing that's going to matter, too, is who do we put our faith in? And what James is trying to get us to see is if you've truly put your faith in Jesus, prove it. Believe in him. Faithfully, without doubting, ask for this wisdom. And we should be able to see a change in our lives. As Christians, shame on us if we look exactly the same as the rest of the world. What we say should be different. We have an incredible power that God's given us, no matter who you are, to speak with the Spirit guided and to change lives for the good. So I pray we do that. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And I want us just to bow our heads and reflect on this for a moment. As we think about this, again, if we're honest with ourselves, each and every one of us struggles. 
I'd be lying to say that I don't struggle with it as well. In fact, I know I'm probably nowhere near where James is and he struggles. But I pray today that we understand the, significant, the significance of what we say, the hurt that we can cause, the destruction that we can cause, but also understand when we confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we allow him to control our tongue, God can do some incredible things with little old people like you and me. I wonder sometimes if the reason we don't see some of these miracles is because we've forgotten them. I know the miracles in the Bible served a purpose and it's obviously you know, a reason why God showed off at the beginning, but I don't think that he's done but I don't think we take it as serious as we should sometimes. And so I wanna challenge you right now that if this has been an issue or if you have some sin you need to repent, I wanna encourage you, as John tells us, to confess it. And if you do, confess and is agreeing with God that you've got an issue. He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In the twinkling of an eye, you can be made whole again. It's been a long time since the Spirit has used your tongue. Just ask Him now. And knowing that we're held accountable, let's continue to pray and ask God to give us his wisdom and truly believe without doubting that he'll give it to us and we will have it. Heavenly Father, God, we're so grateful that you've given us instruction, that you've given us how we are to live. But God, it's difficult. I think every one of us can relate with Paul when he says there's this internal warfare going on. We desire to do good, but yet we continue to do the wrong thing. God, over and over and over again, we're called back to Jesus. We're called back to the one who's actually the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one that, that you see us as perfect through. And God, today I pray that as, as we confess our sins to you, that God, that we would call on your name for wisdom and that God, you would use us in a mighty way. But I also pray for the one here today that might not know you as Lord and Savior. And God, we know the Bible talks about two different judgments. One is of a Christian who's going to be judged according to his works and receive rewards from that. And the other one's one who doesn't know you. He'll be judged according to their works too. And it'll come up short. God, your word says that they'll go away for an eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, I pray that no one in this room today experiences that. God, I pray that you would just pull on their heart torment them until they give in. God, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. It's the least we can do. God, be used for you, for your glory. I want to give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name.